Welcome to class number nine. This is, yeah, this is class number nine of Contrasignone Shalteris Chassidis that we're doing in, in conjunction with the weekly Torah journal Chayenu. And we are, tonight's a short class. Um, you might wonder, by the way, why sometimes we do one chapter, sometimes we do two chapters, sometimes the class is a little bit longer, sometimes a little shorter. It all has to do with, because we do this in partnership with Chayeno, it all has to do with how long the selection for Chayeno was. I think that has to do, uh, on, on their end, editorially, when uh, they're trying to figure out how many pages they have to print. So I think like in weeks where, let's say, the Chumash reading is a lot longer, they might have less space, so then this, this class becomes shorter. Um, or for whatever reasons, I actually I don't know exactly why some weeks are longer and shorter, but this, this week is very short. It's just one chapter, chapter 15. And uh, we are about to sort of uh, complete a subsection within the discourse right now. Because what, what had happened, what we started doing um, way back in chapter, um, let's see how far back it was. Uh, yeah, chapter 10. Chapter 10, we did Moida Ani on four levels. That's right. And then in chapter 11, we did Maidani according to Chassidus. And then in chapter 12, we took Chassidus and went back to the Pshat of Maidani. And then in chapter 13, we took Chassidus and applied that, plugged that into the Remes, went back to the Remes of Maidani. And then chapter 14, we plugged Chassidus into the Drush of Maida'ani. And now we're on chapter 15. Get ready. We're going to do the Said, the Kabbalistic interpretation of Maida'ani. And if you remember, when we first presented the Kabbalistic interpretation of Maida'ani, we said very clearly that it's not something that we're going to understand, that is the nature of uh, Said. It's speaking on a very esoteric level. And, uh, you know, don't, don't get caught up in w whether or not you understand it or not. Um, so now we're going to go back to the Said, and we're going to look at the Said through the lens of Chassidus, and that will complete our revisiting all four levels of Torah interpretation according to Chassidus. Okay. Uh, chapter 15. Along these same lines, meaning along the same lines that we have been in the previous chapters going through each level of Torah interpretation and showing it uh, in the light of Chassidus and how Chassidus brings out a new vitality in each of those levels. Now we're going to look at the level of Soid. Okay? So that is what's happening here. Let's first just explain the simple, uh, sort of maybe uh, an oxymoron to say, the simple 
level of soid. It is <laughs> shot is simple. Soid is never simple. But let's just say the soid as it is, without any explanation at first. Okay. The Kabbalistic explanation of Melech Chayvekayom, living and eternal king, is that phrase is actually indicating two spheroids. Melech is Malchus, and Chayvekayom is Yesoid, and Melech Chayvekayom as a compound phrase, is Malchus as it is united with Yesod. And that from this, from the unification of Malchus with Yesod, it brings about the return of the soul. Okay, that's what the Soid says. Now, in addition to the fact that Chassidus is going to explain this in a rational way, he says in parentheses, And everything in Kabbalah, if you want it to be explained in a logical manner that makes sense to us, really, you're only going to find that in Chassidus, like we said at the very end of chapter 1, when we were talking about different ways of explaining what is Chassidus. Well, one explanation is it's a language for explaining Kabbalah in a way that makes sense to us. Okay, but in addition to the fact that when we plug Kabbalah, Soid, into Chassidus, Chassidus is going to explain the level of Soid in a way that makes sense. But furthermore, another thing's going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to feel the inner content, the inner message of what Soid is really saying, and it's going to come to life in a completely new way. Okay, so let, let me just unpack that, that paragraph. We're going to take the concept of Meida'ani according to Soid, which is that when the sphere of Malchus unites with the sphere of Yesoid, Nishamas come back into bodies. We're going to re-examine that concept, that Kabbalistic concept, through the lens of Chassidus. When we're going to do so, first, first thing that's going to happen is we're going to actually have a logical explanation of it. Okay, because Soid on its own doesn't make sense. It's not meant to make sense. Um, I mean, you can memorize the stuff that it says, this level and that level, and you know, this unification and that unification, but to say we really relate to it, it's not meant to be relatable. It's speaking about stuff that's going on in totally different realities, totally different levels of reality than, than we relate to. Chassidus, however, is a language for describing those phenomena, usually through, through metaphor or example, in a way that makes the unrelatable relatable. So that's the first thing that's going to happen, is we're going to take these abstruse ideas that really we can't understand, and we're going to translate them into a language that we can understand. But then another thing is going to happen, this is even more important. The Kabbalistic explanation is going to come to life in a totally new way. It's going to shine. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to take on a new energy. Or it's going to reveal 
an inner, an inner uh, life that we didn't see in it before. In other words, you look at the Kabbalah on its own, it's very dry, it's very technical, again, unrelatable. Okay, Yusoid merges with Malchus and Neshamas come back. Okay, okay, so you can memorize that. Like, like you know, you memorize uh, different uh, formulae. It's an axiom, no problem. But to relate to it, to understand why it works, how it works, and to actually feel like I can uh, compare it to experiences that I have and feel like it matters in, in my life. That's through chassidus. That's through plugging Kabbalah into chassidus. So let, let's do that. Okay? All right. Biur pirusha al Explaining the soid of Maida'ani through the lens of chassidus. Sfiras hamalchas hi bechinas hoelokus hashayeches la'elam. The sfira of malchus, there are ten spheres. Malchus is the lowest, is the final, is the culminating sphera. It's the recipient that receives all of the flow from the previous spheroids. And it is the only sphero that has a direct relationship with oilam, with creation. The other spheroids are aloof from creation. But Malchus is the mother, is the nurturer. She has a relationship with creation. That is why Malchus is the only sphera that has a relationship with time and space. And in fact, time and space come from her. The very concepts of time and space do not apply in the higher spheres. Time and space are limitations. Those limitations do not apply to the higher spheres, which have a certain infinity to them. So the limitations of space and time don't, don't apply to them. Malchus is one of the spheroids, and yet time and space do apply to it. In fact, time and space come from it. Malchus is the source of time and space. Shari Yichud Vamun of Tanya, second Chelik of Tanya, speaks about this at length in chapter 7. Usfiras Hayesoid. Now, what is Sfiras Hayesoid? Hibachinus Huelakus Shilamayla Megedra Shaiches Lailam. That is godliness as it is above having any relationship with the world. Yesoid is the last of the higher spheres. In other words, if you say there are two kinds of spheres, Malchus and all the others. She's the recipient and they're the, uh, the energies that, depo- that deposit themselves within her. But the last of those nine is Yesoid. And that's why Yesoid is often compared to the uh, reproductive organs, like it says in Pasach Elio, the Yesoid is Oisberis Kodesh, because it's that contact point or that interface between male and female, or between uh, the higher and the lower, or the giver and the recipient. But Yesoid is uh, the last sphera of those, let's call those infinite spheroes that have no relationship with the limitations of time and space. None of the spheres above Malchus have any relationship with the limitations of time and space. And in fact, when those attributes are revealed, they absolutely overwhelm and nullify time and space. In fact, you could never have a revelation in time and space of those higher spheres because time and space themselves would become overwhelmed out of existence. Only Malchus, should, only Malchus could be revealed within time and space. Actually, we say Hashem Melech, Hashem Molech, Hashem Yimlech. He rules, he, he ruled, he will rule. 
So what does it mean that Malchus and Yisaid get together? It is the unification of godliness as it is completely above having a relationship with the world. Uniting with godliness as it has a relationship with the world. As it is in fact the source of the existence of the world. So basically, what are we saying when Malchus and Yesod unite, two dimensions of godliness are uniting. There's God as he is unto himself, uh, not seeking an other, self-contained, infinite on his own, and uh, that's represented by the higher spheroids. But especially Yesoid, which is the contact point of those higher spheroids with Malchus. And then you have Malchus, which is godliness as God is the source of creation. The source of the finite. The source of time and space. So God is, is obviously both. God is not limited. He's, he, he's both the infinite that is above having a relationship with the finite and the infinite that is the source of the finite and has a relationship with the finite. But when those two aspects of God himself merge together, what happens in that paradox? Well, what happens is exactly what we said before that souls come back to bodies. As we're about to explain, let's go forth. That's why, as we indicate in the Maidani, the return of the soul was precipitated by the unification of Melech, Malchus, with Chayvekayim, Yesoid. The return of the soul every morning, like we were saying, when we're talking about resurrection, that the return of the soul isn't just two entities, the body and the soul came unattached and now we're reattaching them. No, it's a, it's a completely new creation. In fact, not just in the morning, but really every single second. Now, the creation of something from nothing really comes from Malchus. And why do we say that? Because when you go to the sphere that's higher than Malchus, there's no such thing as created existence. So created existence clearly comes from Malchus, could only come from Malchus, because only Malchus is able to have a relationship with the finite and not, and not overwhelm it out of existence. But notwithstanding that, the power that Malchus has to create something from nothing comes from the infinite as it is above having a relationship with the worlds. A little bit of a paradox there. Malchus can only create worlds because it has a relationship with worlds, with the finite. But the power that Malchus has to bring about the creation of the finite comes from the infinite. Another way of saying that is, only the infinite can create something from nothing because only from the perspective of the infinite is there truly no difference between ayin and yesh, something and nothing. So therefore, something that doesn't exist can very well come to exist. 
a little bit of a paradox there. But once you're already in the realm of the finite, if something doesn't exist yet, it can't come to exist. That's why the infinite can make the non-existent into the existent. Because it's not limited by the fact that non-existence doesn't exist. But the godly light, which has a relationship with the worlds, is limited to the limitations of the worlds, which is things exist or they don't exist. So in order for Malchus, which has a relationship with the worlds, to create something out of nothing, it has to have a relationship with something higher than it, with the infinite for which existence and non-existence are equally valid possibilities. And in fact, existence can come forth from non-existence and that that's not a contradiction or a limitation. So (laughs) Malchus can only create because above Malchus, worlds don't exist. Uh, But Malchus needs to have a relationship with the higher spheres for whom the worlds don't exist because without that, there's no uh, connection to the infinite for which existence and non-existence are interchangeable, if you follow that. So when the soul comes back as a brand new creation, what is that really? That is the marriage of Malchus and Yesoid, of infinity as it has a relationship with the finite, and infinity as it is aloof from the finite. And yet, both of those, paradoxically, are, are, are needed in union with each other in order to give birth to the finite. Now, let's connect this to Yechida as we always do, as we've been doing on each level. V'hakorazu, this recognition, this recognition of what the unification of Malchus and Yesaid is causing, that is only possible because a person has a yechida. And we mean this in two ways. Aleph, one way. The recognition of the essence of the infinite light is really only possible from the perspective of the neshama, which is one with Hashem's essence. But the four soul levels, those really pick up on Hashem as He's present in worlds. So the ability to appreciate that there is an existence of Hashem which is beyond creation, which is inherently beyond creation, comes from our Yechida. The, the four soul levels are interested in Hashem as He's present within various levels of creation even very lofty spiritual levels, but levels nonetheless. And uh, Yechida appreciates that Hashem is just the essence and isn't defined as creator. So that's the first thing. You need a Yechida to appreciate that there's this infinite that is beyond worlds, which, interestingly enough, is necessary in order to create worlds, as we explained. Base gam amitas ha'akora ba'achidish diyesh ma'ayin sheyakav aloyrak sheyovin she'ain shum nesinus mokim lahayash mitzad atzmei v'chol mitziyusei hu mechudish melokus. The true ability. 
to recognize, and the Rebbe says here, to, to recognize it, not just to understand it. Understanding could be still on an academic level. Like in theory, I understand that such a concept could exist. No, this is to recognize it, to be able to, to see it and identify this phenomenon. That, that what? That there's really no possibility for an existence to exist on its own. And really, it's constantly being brought into its present uh, state of existence only through Hashem's existence. And that phenomenon could only come, up, come about through Hashem's essence for which non-existence is not an obstacle to bringing something into existence. And that recognition of that concept is coming from your Yechida. The fact that you're able to not just intellectually wrap your head around this concept, but you're able to say, yeah, you know what, I think I know what he's talking about. That's coming from your Yechida. Canal Sif Yud Gimel, like we said in the end of chapter 13, when we're talking about the resurrection, that we appreciate that really the world cannot exist autonomously and does not exist autonomously. So that's the way of looking at the side of Maida'ani through the lens of Chassidus. Basically, it's still a lofty concept, it's not easy, but here it is. Melech Chai Vekayim is Malchus uniting with Yesoid. That's the aspect of Hashem which has a relationship with the finite, uniting with Hashem's own self which has no relationship with the finite. And they need to both be present because in order to create creation, obviously you have to have a relationship with creation. But in order for creation to be a possibility, so its own non-existence cannot be an insurmountable obstacle. And from the perspective of the limitations of creation, something it's binary, existence is. Either it exists or it doesn't. How can non-existence become existence? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a paradox. Well, from the perspective of true infinity, it's not an obstacle, and it's not, a, it's not an unsustainable paradox. Non-existence can become existence just as much as existence. But also from that perspective, that true infinity, it has a certain aloof quality where it's not concerned with existence. So we need the marriage between both aspects of godliness in order for creation to come into being. And, and, and that's what we're talking about in Meida'ani, when we recognize, we get up in the morning, we say, oh, I exist again. You know what just happened? You know what just happened? I, I, first of all, Meida'ani, I, I, I acknowledge and I, and I give grateful thanks that what? That the infinite as it is above having a relationship with creation has united with the infinite as it has a relationship with creation in order to put me and everything else here again for another day. And that ability to recognize that and to be grateful for that is an expression of my deepest self, my, my yichida. That's soyd according to chassidus. Okay, fine. So that's it. That's it for tonight and for this week. We will continue uh, next week with chapter 16.